Welcome to the Swing Coach in Transit podcast. I am your host, Lucas Ferreira. If this is your first time catching this show, you'll see this is not your typical 30 to 40 minute podcast. Most interviews are in the hour and a half range, and that is by design, as the goal is to cover a broad range of subjects and give the guests time to talk and expand on ideas. In this episode, I sat down with Mike Peterson, who's the head coach for the Ames Cyclone Aquatics Club, also known as ACAC in Ames, Iowa. ACAC was the club where I got my first full-time job as a swim coach, and so visiting the club felt a lot like visiting home. As it will come up in the conversation, I was pretty impressed with how much the club has changed and improved in the years since my tenure there. Mike and I talked about all sorts of different things, and this is another conversation I'm very happy and proud to put out there for everyone to hear. Now, just one more quick thing before we jump into the interview itself. But this episode is brought to you by Swim Smart, which comes up on this conversation as Mike himself helps develop some of their products. Head over to www.swimsmarttoday.com to check out what they have. And they do have some quite innovative products you won't find anywhere else. And if you see something you like to try, use the coupon code SWIMCOACHINTRANSIT at checkout for 10% off. That's SWIMCOACHINTRANSIT, all spelled out, lowercase, no spaces, no dashes, and no special characters. And with that, here's episode two of the Swim Coach in Transit podcast with Mike Peterson. Okay, so Mike, uh, welcome, and thank you for agreeing to sit down and participate here. Uh, and thank you also for all the uh, welcoming me on deck and showing me all the stuff around, uh, showing me the pool. It's been, it's been quite interesting to be back at a place that I, that I worked at a couple of years back. So again, thank you for, for sitting down. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited to have you back through here. Yeah. Uh, so I thought we could start with uh, kind of your path uh, through the world of swimming, uh, where you were as an athlete, uh, leading up to your start as a coach and, and all the way through when you, when you got here. Yeah. So I actually graduated from Ames high. I grew up in, um, Ames, Iowa, and I was a member of ACAC, um, all the way up through my youth and then swam for, uh, my high school coach, Dan Flannery that I work with now. Um, and then through high school, I had the opportunity to, Move my way up through high school, American, all state, all that good stuff. And then um, when I graduated, I moved on to uh, University of Denver and got to be a part of uh, a new new program where uh, Jim Henry was a new coach and work underneath him and um, get to see Division One swimming. And uh, my last year, I had the opportunity to work with uh, Brian Schrader as he, as Jim had moved in, moved on after three years and. Oh, that was that was college swimming, and then shortly after that, I ended up um, during while I was college or swimming in college, I was also managing a country club pool, and I ended up coaching the last two years that I was there, and ended up four years total at the country club, and we went from 30 swimmers to 120 within four years, and um, like league contenders and all that fun stuff, and in that transition between graduating and then post-college, I ended up doing a couple jobs where I, I worked for um, some high schools and volunteered. Um, I think it was Arapaho in, in Colorado. And then um, 
or chaparral. Um, I ended up coaching with them with the girls program. And during that time, I, I worked my way into Colorado Stars and um, working with Todd Schmitz. And we, we'll talk some more about that. But um, they, uh, And then the, the other piece that I was doing while I was coaching in Colorado that I, I think was pretty unique and helped me set up my perspective moving forward was I ended up uh, working for the Divisional Wildlife for six months. And then from there, I worked in oil and gas for four years in the corporate world. And um, that after 2012, that led me to want to come home and kind of be around um, the family and everything else that's going on here and help work on the home club that helped bring me up. And, um, yeah, I mean, that kind of puts us to the present, and that's kind of my coaching and swimming background and what we're looking at. So coming, coming back full circle, the, one of the main motives was to come back to uh, closer to family, being closer to family. Yeah, they um, – I mean, one of the realities that I ran into is to, to support my coaching lifestyle that I kind of realized um, shortly after college was that, the, um, that I wanted to coach doing the oil and gas. I mean, I, I had a fortunate uh, bo- boss in, uh, in the oil and gas industry, so I was a records manager. So I, to keep that interesting... Um, uh, that's a different subject, but they, uh, so I, we would race into the, to the office at five thirty, and I would leave at three thirty in the afternoon to go coach high school swimming. Um, and then I would also coach club and I'd be on deck until nine o'clock and I'd get up the next morning and do it again. And I did that for day. about four years. Yeah. And it just the reality that this isn't sustainable long term, And that's when the decision was, is maybe it's time to go home and just kind of see what's going on there. And, Okay. Slow down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, definitely want to hit on uh, kind of that, I call it kind of the dark side of coaching, but uh, we can we can uh, wait a little longer before we hit on that part, but I think it's pretty interesting too. Yeah. That, that's kind of what led you. And when you came back to ACAC, you were not in Ames initially. Is that correct? Were you? No, I was, I was in Ames. You so, were in Ames? So, so when I came to Ames, I replaced you. Okay. <laughs> I was a pre-senior coach. Pre-senior I was that coach. 11 okay. to 14 year old age okay. group. And mm-hmm. so Tim Teeter was the head coach at the time and he brought me back and gave me the opportunity to be the age group coach. And I ended up working here in Ames for about a year and a half. And within that year, um, we had Carl Hamush go out to Fort Dodge and start our Fort Dodge site. And then in that transition, um, within that year, uh, Tim and, and myself had been starting to work on the college, the junior college um, in uh, Fort Dodge. And so I transitioned into Fort Dodge, and I took a year to start recruiting for um, Iowa Central at the junior college. And then they um, – so I was doing the club and the junior college in Fort Dodge for a year and a half. And then when Tim moved on – Ames asked me to come back as the head coach to oversee both sites and stepped away from the junior college and started here in Ames full-time. Okay. Uh, and you, you already kind of mentioned some names uh, that you work with uh, during your swimming career, but I'm interested to know, uh, do you have any particular mentors, any, anybody that helped you along the way, uh, along your, your coaching career? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say my first, the first real impact that I remember having on, 
on my life would have been uh, Petri Vepsinin. Uh, I think I was 11 and 12, something like that. And I was, I wasn't an amazing swimmer, but I was every two years when you get to the top of your age group, I'd make the state meet or whatever. And I didn't have a good meet. And I remember, um, sitting on a bench and Petri just gave me this conversation of, do you want to be good now or great later? And it just really resonated with me. And, and he gave me the guidelines of what I need to do to be great later. And he, he shortly, he moved on shortly after that. Um, I believed, uh, out in, um, uh, Charlotte, is it Charlotte or he, he went out to club Mac and then passed away from, uh, leukemia shortly after that. But that conversation has really resonated with me my whole life. And they, uh, and then you move on from there, and then I had the opportunity to work with a, a young coach at the time, and he's old now, uh, <laughs> and working with him is Dan Flannery, and the high school coach here. And right, still the high school coach for Yeah, NSI. yeah. And, they, um, and just the legacy that he got to start with. And, I mean, we working with Dan, we went through four years of getting second as a team, and our team state titles were just – I mean, it was an experience I would never trade for anything. It was so awesome. They, um, but then from there, I mean, Dan, Dan led the way through that, those four years. And then he had a huge influence on helping me figure out how to get into college swimming and really did it for me. And I think the, the really neat part in, in college that I remember taking away from Jim was that the, um, we, we ha I had some things going on back home with the family and divorce and stuff, and I remember approaching Jim and talking to him about what the needs were at home that I may need to help with. And I remember sitting in the office, and he made just straight-up comment. It was like, family comes first. And I remember missing a team travel meet to go home and help back home with a couple things. And just and when people make simple comments or phrases and – you could see his lifestyle just kind of emulated that, that his family was important to him. And looking back on some of those steps in your life, in my life, seeing people build those things through you. And I think those were some of the, the milestones. And then when I got to Brian Schrader, I mean, he was just, he was awesome. I mean, I was pretty hardcore, and he really um, complimented that intensity. It felt really cool to work with him in that last year, and and then a couple of years after that, they um, I think uh, Brooke Westall was amazing at uh, Chaparral, and then um, working through the high school swimming, and she actually was also my um, HR director at the Oil and Gas. So okay, she, she's the one that helped lead me into um, oil and gas and helped me get a job to support my coaching, basically. Um, and then working with Todd, and I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about some more about that here at some point, but he really, it was really unique and neat to work with two young coaches we were at the time and kind of watch um, those Olympians and that mindset and all those kids come through, and it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Right. So, so we, I, I guess we can actually hit on that uh, right now since we're um, talking about mentors and talking about these lessons, but... Uh, so yeah, you were with Colorado Stars uh, from uh, I think it was 08 to 012. So 08 to 012, and and to uh, if people uh, are not uh, aware, uh, you had a, a girl growing up called Missy Franklin that that was with the team at that time, and 2012 was her her big uh, 
come out to the scene, correct? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yep. So, I mean, that whole time uh, that I was there, I had the opportunity. And I was running in Colorado, the 11 to 14-year-olds. And um, and then I would step up and help Todd with the seniors and just kind of ran that capacity as, uh, as he needed to move around with Missy and some of those higher level swimmers. I mean, we ended up with a whole crew of kids that ended up at Cal, at Georgia, at NC State. And I mean, they're off top eight at NC2As and set national records and stuff. So there was, I mean, there was a lot of kids that were putting a team perspective together and working that through. And it was, it was a lot of fun doing that, so. Right, so is there any particular thing, it sounds like you guys had a true great team atmosphere that uh, the cream was rising to the top and, and perhaps maybe even being able to build a team around this one fantastic swimmer. Is that kind of what you saw? Um, the, yeah, I don't know that it would be to build it around uh, that one swimmer. I think the expectation was to build the program to the top, to the highest level. So there were some things that we had never done before, like uh, the program had never won a junior national team title. And there was a group of kids that wanted to do that as a group, and we ended up doing that. And it, and then beyond that, I mean, the first step was to win team titles, and that was or at the state level, and that was something that Colorado Stars had been doing for a while, and, and to come through and and set that expectation. And I, I think one coach that gets uh, little to no recognition that should get a lot is Karen Ammon, and she as as much fun as me and Todd had. She was she was always working on me behind the scenes. So she's a little bit older. Um, oh, I don't know. She wouldn't appreciate me telling <laughs> people how old she is, but. But she swam at the highest level. I think it was Michigan. But she, she really brought um, more of an athlete-centered mindset and that this is bigger picture. You're having a real impact on these kids' lives. And what you do and say now is going to have a lasting impact on them. And you need to think about that. And there was one experience that I was telling, telling you about earlier that, that Karen really basically hit me on the head with. Um, there was, I had an athlete that was, I mean, she was just stellar in workouts, starting to get really good, going under double O from a push. And we get to a swim meet. She hadn't done it yet, and I was all excited. I was going to see something amazing. We were going to go 58, 59, and she dove in and goes 102. And I remember being so angry. I slammed my hands against the, the table that we were sitting at and just typical young coach spouting off or whatever. And, and Karen turned to me and I remember her, she grabbed my arm and said, stop it. That is not your swimming. She's got to figure that out. You do not need to react that way. And I, I remember that really changed my approach on how I go about it and that there's really a limit to how much I can make them do it. And, and you made the comment that um, a lot of times coaches are too invested in that right. swim. Yeah, I've been, I've the reason I make that comment is because I've definitely been there and sometimes still fall into that kind of trap. It's, it's easy for us to get overly invested and e even one more than they do. And uh, obviously with the best intentions, but sometimes that, that's, or most of the times I'd say that's not helpful yeah. uh, to the athlete. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's pretty good. Um, is there uh, currently any other... Uh, tools or any things they use to uh, uh, learn or uh, improve what you're doing. Actually, 
before we go there, let me, uh, I was really impressed the first day I walked into the pool, you kind of walk me around and show me all the stuff you have going on. So it's mm -hmm. uh, pretty, uh, a, a lot of uh, little contraptions and, and inventions here that you're working on to make uh, team run better, make your practices run better. Uh, so it sounds like you're actually kind of trying to figure solutions by yourself. Uh, you want to talk about that for a little bit? Yeah. So I think that goes all the way back to, um, well, ever since I was a kid. So I was never very big at watching TV or doing anything. And I've, and it, it's fun to, as you get older and you actually research and stuff. And I remember different teachers making comments that really smart people are never actually bored. Uh, they're always thinking, they're always moving on, they're figuring something else out. And I remember, I mean, my senior year, I mean, I had done the job, I had gotten all my credits through, and I remember trying, I had to hold 12 credits or something like that to keep my college scholarship the spring of my senior year. And you're not swimming anymore, so I was doing the minimum to keep my scholarship, and I was bored, so I just built a boat that <laughs> spring. And, and they... Um, it, it was just things like that that it was like let's just be creative and think ahead and whatever and then they um, how do we make things interesting when they're not records management if you ever did records management <laughs> it is exactly what it sounds yeah, like it sounds super exciting <laughs> yeah you were filing papers you were in file or in um, filing shelves all the time and I mean the biggest way that I I found to keep interested and excited about it was coming up with new methods to make things more efficient and faster. And I mean, there's all kinds of little inventions and things um, that we came up with. I mean, we were pulling staples for hours on end. And I just like, I had, I had my employees, they were um, putting rubber bands on their hands with paper clip pullers. And we had these little guides that we'd put paper in so that we didn't have to sit there and pad it. I even, it even got to the point where I took, um, we were talking, thousand dollars of um, printers and photocopiers and stuff and I would make like these wood jigs that I would put on these expensive things and to make those machines more efficient and I remember um, one of the photocopying companies come in and they saw what was going on and they're like can we steal that idea <laughs> yeah, I? No, I don't I don't care so it, just things like that and then we we move into the swimming world and I mean, and I've heard other coaches say it before. It was like inherently that black line is boring. I mean, back and forth is boring. And how do we make this interesting? How do we do something different? And when we talk about unconventional, and they, um, and that's and that's where I, I started this invention book. I started writing ideas down, and doing things, and trying things. And when one thing didn't work, I'd I'd keep some notes and I'd go back and I'd try it again. If another group of kids came through and I was like, oh, maybe we can do that or try that again. Um, and they, they, um, they, I think our kids are kind of spoiled in that mindset that they're always looking for unconventional. It's like, I, I mean, we're doing so many different things, guys. I don't think you realize what the rest of the world swimming's doing is like to be more creative. Right. I'll try, but so, and that's where my buddy, um, Carl, I mentioned him, Hamoush, he, he came in and I mean, I guess I'm like anybody else. They, I have ideas. I make them work for our workouts and he's like, why don't we start selling this stuff? So Carl put together a company called swim smart and where we put the, the power harness and the push paddle and streamline press and just some things like that that have a real impact on the kids and their swimming. 
and he started putting it out there and i mean some of the things have taken and some of them are right better than others but it's 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 just one of those things that i would challenge other coaches to think outside of the box and try some things with the kids and see what happens right yeah you're not you're not just swimming swimming lanes of the pool swimming work because you're you're trying some some things here and there and seeing what they can what they can get from it yeah. um so that that's that's pretty cool i was i was really impressed with the number of uh little inventions and trinkets uh around the pool um it, i get going back is there any any tools or any places you go to think about new, new ideas to learn besides just kind of watching what's going on in your own workouts is there yeah they i mean one of the really neat things that that happened through my career right so i'm i well one thing that i would encourage people to do is go back to their coaches that they worked with previous and ask them questions it's it's amazing the wealth of knowledge that they have that you didn't necessarily gather at the time i mean you even go to the point where as athletes, you're frustrated that a coach isn't saying or doing something about another individual that you think should be doing something a certain way. And now being on the other side of it, you're just like, well, maybe there's a reason why they didn't say something or they did do it that way. There's a bigger picture behind all of it. And I think there's a, a few things that happened real quick after. When I was coaching Grandview High School, I had a, a young man um, – Oh, he, he was amazing 500 swimmers. John Martins, I think he, he ended up at Texas. But he, um, amazing 500. And I remember we were running a high school season, and we had like three meets in a row. And I was just like, what? He kept getting faster every meet. And I was like, I'm trying to bury this kid and work him for the end of the season. He keeps getting faster. It's like, I did, what is going on? I was a young coach. And I, re I remember calling Jim Henry, and he kind of gave me some things to think about and look through. I was like, I never would have realized that. And, and he really gave me the tools to look at what my workouts were doing and what the response was to his swimming. And they, um, and then the other piece with that is just um, listening to the kids and what they're actually telling you um, and what they're feeling, what they're thinking, and finding that, that fine line of um, responding to them versus pushing them. And I think I learned some of that with that uh, Grandview boys. Um, but they, I think a couple of years ago, I really, it really dawned on me when we were really trying to make our, our first Olympic trial run um, with our athlete. And we'd had, we'd never had an athlete here in ACAC make an Olympic trial cut as an age group swimmer. And it really dawned on me that I need to honor these kids' commitments and really start doing the research and start learning our sport to a higher level and that I'm being paid as a full-time coach not to just write the workouts and show up, but my job is to research and build the program and think about what's to come and really give some foresight and not necessarily react to everything but be real proactive on it. And I think that's when I really started listening and reading online about um, – I mean, the different things that coaches had published online, I read a lot about. Uh, I watch a lot of videos that are out there. I mean, we're always buying different new videos that different coaches are doing. And then the networking side. I think one of the, the hardest things that I've run into, and I still consider myself a younger coach, is everybody kind of tells you how they're kind of training. And then something like you get into taper, 
And, and I know that now it's like people don't even want to talk about taper because kids are like, oh, I get to disappear for the next three weeks. And it's like, how do you how do you rest your kids? And people and we'll get pieces of it. Right. All the coaches will be like, well, we kind of do this. We'll, we start 10 days out. We might come down a little bit and then we do this. And I think as a coaching com- community, putting some things out and like this is how I actually do it and see right. that out there would be helpful to the younger coaches. Yeah, I think part of the part of the challenge with taper is that it's also it's athlete specific and it is also, I think, specific to the program you ran up to that point. So it's you can't just pick up a taper that work for somebody else, work for a different program, and then you run a completely different program for 20 weeks yep. and then run that taper, it's likely to flop. Yep. Uh, so, but how do, how do we give those younger coaches those? Because how many of us as or a brand new coach jump jump into it and it was like, okay, I got to figure this out. Yeah. It's like, what do, <laughs> what do I do? And maybe the guidelines is we set them up. But that's it, just something I think about. That So, but in that progression with, uh, a couple years ago and the reality of it, that's really where I started researching. And then I went to, for the first time, a coaching clinic a year ago, and it was fantastic. This year I went to um, that USA convention. Um, and there's there's so much to learn and put out there. Um, so I have ideas batting around in my head. And then even the, the other thing that I really started doing with putting those different um, inventions out and stuff is starting to research what other coaches are using for tools and how they're using them. I think power towers were um, something that we got them, and I started using them, but not necessarily looking back in the most efficient way. I mean, I had boys that would load that thing up, and I'd say, go. And <laughs> it's... I mean, they made it work. That didn't mean it necessarily did work right. to their benefit, but just learning some of those pieces and encouraging new coaches to do more research as they go. Right. Uh, and I think you touched on uh, the networking, asking other coaches. I think that's super important. Anytime you have a, a chance to chat with somebody else that's been there, uh, you're, you're going to learn a lot. Um, I guess you um, already talked about a few stories that i think are pretty interesting do you have any kind of favorite uh failure story anything anytime things really didn't go as planned but you learn an important lesson from that yeah i i think there's well major mess ups i remember one of them I mean, four years ago when we went to try and do that uh, Olympic trial run, they um, during the winter we trained nothing but short course, and then I took a bunch of age groupers to a long course meet, and that kind of flopped, didn't go well. And they, um, looking back, that was something that, and I know other coaches make it work and they figure it out, but I think that was something that I just kind of learned pretty quickly that um, that didn't work with the way we train necessarily, and. I think another one of the things that that I've watched go on is, and it's now I've been doing it just long enough that looking back at how some of the kids rest, um, I had an athlete come through where she performed her best on like a three to four day rest, 
and going forward and she was a sophomore and every year after that I continued to try and rest her more and then she went off to school and they are off to college and just that summer after she left they only gave her two or three days rest and she just like blew it out of the park and, and you know that her training being there just a month and a half wasn't significantly different than what we had but right the mindset and the approach was a little bit different and I think that's the biggest thing that I I kick myself back on is to really look at what actually worked with each athlete and not be afraid to go back to what did work versus always trying to change it. Always try, trying to tinker a little bit and seeing that maybe it's going to be better. If it's been successful in the past, maybe stick to that formula. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, kind of switching gears a little bit, but if you if you had to give a presentation uh, or say, teach a college class on any topic other than swimming, uh, what do you think it would be and why? It can't, it can't just be record-keeping at this point. <laughs> yeah. Now, on other than swimming? Um, you know, I actually had a, um, a coach, or not a coach, one of our parents. So a few years ago, we had some uh, issues with uh, air quality in our, in our pool. And our, our unique situation is our city owns the facility, the school district, um, uh, does the maintenance, right? The cleaning and the mechanical issues. And, but so we're basically a guest in the facility and we're at the mercy of the school district and the mercy of the city. And we had to figure out how to improve the air quality, but not alienate ourselves amongst the two parties. And they, uh, one of the professors, one of our parents, took note on how I would phrase emails and letting people know what we're doing and how we're working on things and the power of words and the impact that you can have on people and conversations and the direction that you drive your focus and your group on just how you use a couple key words and phrases. And then to his point is looking back, and this, this was a year and a half ago, I mean, air quality is... Um, better and to a good point but the but he he just because they did some mechanical adjustments and whatnot but he took my emails and made a case study out of it for his college classes and i was just like whoa and then the reality came through is like you just as young coaches and athletes we just need to realize that whatever you put out there on paper people are going to hold it and they're going to take it he'd, right he'd saved a year and a half of emails and I had no idea and it kind of my heart kind of sunk when I saw it I was like <laughs> oh what kind of trouble am I in and he asked me to come in and talk to his college class about it and the political nature of what we talked about and how to be strategic with our coaching and working with facilities and different uh, coaches and whatnot uh, just to be mindful of what your long-term goals and impacts are and that you're not going to change everything all at once and how do you create, um, how do you make people feel like they're being um, a part of a solution and helping you do something rather than telling them that they have to do this? Right. That That's a super inter interesting topic, I think. Um, it's kind of what we were saying. It's you, you, you are correct and your intentions are good, but that doesn't mean that people are going to listen to you and do what you're telling them. It, mm -hmm. you you have to approach it differently and did you so I, i'm guessing 
Did you learn something from being the case study? Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, like I said, it's just the reality of the emails that I send out and they, and, and, and how to, how to work together and get everybody to work in a common cause. And that's, I mean, that's the nature of a team, right? And that's, and that's, the unique part is that ACAC doesn't exist without the city swim lessons and without the school district promoting or keeping the facility running in a, in a manageable way. And then the flip side is that we're supporting the high school program. I mean, our kids, they wanted, we talked about this uh, on the pool deck is one of the neat and unique things that we have is that our pool, our kids can't go to other teams. ACAC. You're like, 30, 40 miles away from, from the, is, yeah, is more, more than, is it further than that for the 40 miles from Des Moines? I well, guess? for the nearest club, it's probably about 40 minutes. And it, the irony of it is that any other city environment, that's not a big deal. But in small town, Iowa, when people don't want to drive five minutes across town, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's 10 minutes to literally cross town. Yeah. That's a big deal. And so it, the, the reality is that the, this is where we're at. This is what we have and we have to make it work. And I actually learned that lesson at Colorado Stars. There was a time when we lost one of our facilities, and we ended up, I mean, we had, at the time, I think 150 kids, and then we had four lanes to practice in a couple nights a week. Oof. And that was one of the neatest lessons that I ever learned, that we could still be great at swimming as long as we had the mindset that we were going to work together as a team. It wasn't necessarily the, the volume as long as we keep the intensity and the focus going and stay together as a community and work towards a common cause. We, we really did some amazing things despite the adversity that had been thrown at us. And that's the thing that we're running into here in Ames is that the, I mean, we have a new facility coming in in two years and has really come together as a community. Right. Uh, yes, I have a note here to uh, make sure we talk about a little bit of that new facility and that, how that uh, came about. But uh, since you mentioned the, uh, just that your workout scenario that you had once at uh, Colorado Stars. I like to bring up the first day that I was here uh, in Ames uh, at the pool was on a Sunday, and you guys were having practice. Mm -hmm. And there were, I think there were 60 kids on deck on that, on, on a, any given Sunday here. And I was really impressed. I think uh, personally, if somebody uh, suggested that to me, uh, I would be a little wary of uh, how is this going to sell, how is this going to work, but it seems like you guys are really making it work and making the week work uh, by taking some some days off, different days off from different groups other than just taking Sunday off with everybody. Yeah. Um, the yeah, and that and that's and that's something that I learned from working at Stars is to not get so stressed about out about when our schedule is, but how can we manipulate it and change it and make it work and that the kids basically they just need pool time and quality of life is is, is a, a factor and that we try to hold to but they um sundays were not something that we were excited about doing but we so we go sundays through the high school season and then after high school season's done we will go back to a conventional saturday morning but like our seniors right now They're going Monday, Tuesday evening. They're going Wednesday morning. They're going Thursday evening. They take Friday off, and they're going Saturday morning and then Sunday evening. And, and Sunday evening, they're swimming for three hours. So I do – We, I mean, there's a certain threshold that I don't want to go below in amount of time practiced and whatnot, and I think most coaches want to do that. 
Um, and that's where I tacked on three hours on Sunday. And it's actually, it's, it's worked really well. I know in the past we've had different opportunities. Um, when the, the high school decided they weren't going to swim Friday morning, we eliminated Saturday morning and we swam Friday morning. So they would have Friday evening off, Saturday off, and then they would come in Sunday evening. And that worked really well too. But then the, um, I mean, it even goes as far as our, our novice program we are one of our biggest goals with Aaron Nakama. And Aaron was actually right. You're the, the head coach that hired me. The, the yeah. person that gave me my first full-time coaching job. Yes. Yep. And, and Aaron was one of my, my, uh, was my coach when I was swimming, uh, for a year and a half. And they, um, and he ended up running the program, I think for 10 years. Well, shortly after, or when you left also, he had stepped down and yeah, yes. kind of yeah. phased out of swimming for a little while, but, we brought him back as a novice coach and he uh he has a whole new perspective on it and we our novice program is just spectacular i mean aaron's had the head coach mindset and uh now he has a little his own little kids that are i think eight and unders right and just running that program so we run those guys from monday wednesday friday and then sunday and they um we just spread the pool out in different ways to facilitate kids to have an opportunity. Right, I think that that group had about 20 kids here on, on Sunday, I think, that novice group. And I, talking about Aaron real quick, I, I hope to get to sit down with him. He's, a, he's got three young kids, though, so I'm not sure how much uh, the time is going to be. But, uh, yes, I think uh, what a great asset for a program to have, somebody that has been a head coach, has, has run a program, has seen really all levels of swimming, and has a lot of experience, and nowadays what, he's wanting to do is work with the novice kids yeah yeah and he and just he can give a whole perspective on the whole level of everything and the the other neat part and it's really unique to our program and is that uh brian Lederhouse came from the chicago area or illinois and he was a head coach for a long time and now he's our 11 to 14 year old coach and just having that asset as um, a senior coach of two other head coaches in our program working in different capacities that have seen a lot more than I have up to this point and being able to lean on them and have them help me progress forward. And then Brett, Ben, um, Utesh, who is a graduate a couple years after me and coming in here and he's our nine to 11 year old coach, but he also bridges the gap and he works with the seniors all the time. I mean, his real talent is being on the pool deck with the kids and in all reality, we have um, four head coaches on our, our program just facilitating it all and moving it. And it's, it's been really special. And I, I, would, I would give a huge compliment to we are a parent-run program. I mean, we have a parent board. And I think back when you were coaching, you started to see some of um, the younger side of, of a few parents that realized that these coaches have a real impact on our kids and that – if we want something special, we have to pay for it. And that it, we can't expect somebody to come in here and be an hourly employee and stick around. And that if we want to have a high-level program or have people that are going to have real impact on our swimmers, we need to support them. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's great. I think it's uh, uh, being a parent-run program, some people would say it sometimes can be a challenge, but when they, if they get on board, and I think, uh, yeah, I think, about 10 years ago, they started realizing this and, and uh, putting putting resources behind behind the club and uh, also then hiring great people and, and letting letting them run the club. I think that seems to be. Uh, yeah. And they I mean, 
the finances is the big thing that they step in and help out with. I, I mean, I think a lot of coaches, that's something that we struggle with. But putting the right people on the board and having that opportunity to help with that um, has been huge. And I think the biggest struggle that we're running into at this point is um, a lot of those parents are getting older and graduating out as their kids leave. But how do how do we bring things back to the younger parents and make them realize where we were versus where we're at now. Right, especially if they haven't seen that transition. Uh, yeah. they, they, they now seen it works, but they, they don't know what the changes were necessarily. Yeah, and they, I mean, we went from 80 kids when I came in to 150 within the year, uh, and then adding Fort Dodge, and then we never had the trial swimmer. We ended up with trial. We won state titles, um, and we went from bronze, or we got bronze, to silver and just those different things where they almost seem normal now and to make and to have and that's where we're we're starting to refigure out who we are and what we are and educating parents seems to be the biggest thing that we need to start moving for um, to help them understand how to progress to the next level right um, since we already talked about your staff and I, I agree you have a unique and, and great staff going on right now um, I'm currently curious uh, on how people go about hiring. It feels like perhaps for you is, is more a factor of people around being in town, or, but how do you go about hiring assistant coaches? Is there any particular places you look at? Do you reach out to people? Do you have any kind of like hiring practices? Yeah. Um, you know, the I, I figure this is something that we kind of learned in, in Newfield is – start do more with less initially right so it's, it's better for you as a coach to work with more kids than it is just to bring somebody in to fill the spot um it only takes one coach to say or do something to have a negative impact on your program and to really work hard to make sure that you have the right people in place because it's the and again, so there was there was a summer that we lost our our novice coach, and me and Tim were talking, and we we interviewed some individuals, and it was just like I'm not really excited about these people, and, and that's when I stepped up and said I would rather run our novice program for a summer, and re-interview people in the fall, than to allow somebody step in and just hurt the novice program, and that's. And that would be my biggest advice on, on what we've done is we've we let the numbers grow until we feel like we're at a breaking point and then we bring somebody else in and we make sure that they're the right person. We don't just bring bodies in. Um, being in Ames, Iowa, it's, we don't we have opportunities, but we don't have um, a ton. I mean, we're not. You're one of the unique ones that moved that in moved here in, yes. for <laughs> for a job, but. Um, we really try to promote with within the program and get our younger kids that have come up through. Uh, we had a that junior coach program that's just started. I think is going to be huge impact on what we do. And the big thing is, um, I look for personalities. Um, you can you weren't a swimmer, right? right? <laughs> Initially, the, yeah. Until a little bit later, but the yeah. you can take somebody that has a passion for something and you can teach them the skills how to how to coach and we want the right people with the right mindset and the swimming piece i think comes easy in a lot of respects yeah i think you can 
it's easier to learn about swimming than to learn passion. Right. And and um, so so yeah, I, I agree with that. Do you have any? Uh, so when you're when you're bringing people in, I think you already brought up a great point. You're looking for personality before experience, personality before uh, knowledge. Uh, once they are on staff, do you have some sort of uh, onboarding plan? Do you have a specific uh, things you do to make sure that they are uh, being well incorporated into the team and understanding the team culture and things like that? Yeah, I mean, I'll be I'll be honest. We have not had to do a lot of that because, and you have Aaron that's been here forever, and Ben's now been here for four or five years, and Brian's been here for four years. We all kind of know how we each function and whatnot. The, um, I think the big thing is that the, we do dual coaches on deck all the time. Uh, we don't have coaches on their own. And we're actively working with our new hires one-on-one. We're always giving them direction on what we want to see in workouts. So they don't ever get tossed in and say, sink or swim, figure it out. Um, we're, we're actively facilitating what's going on with those younger people, I would say. Okay. So uh, I guess that that part is probably one of the big things is making sure that they're also working with somebody else uh, Mm -hmm. as they first come in. Yeah. Um, Do you have any, uh, any books or articles that, or, or concepts that you think would be mandatory for your staff, like things that everybody should, should be aware of this, this things. (sighs) No, not necessarily. I, I think the thing that we encourage is that we continue to network with other coaches and just talk to them what they're doing. And they, you know, I, I mean, the different, I mean, Brian's always walking in with the new swimming world. And um, I know I, I'm looking at different things online between, I mean, Swim Swam is one of them that we'll read. And then the Swimming World magazines and those articles. And they, uh, I mean, there's different videos out there that were um i mean championship productions puts out videos and stuff that are here in town a trip and um so it's just i think those are the big things that we've talked about at different times as a program is to continue to i think one of the things that i ran into is i'm not necessarily a sports junkie i don't watch football i don't watch basketball or anything like that and there was a point where i didn't even watch swimming (laughs) i mean there's see so much swimming in the pool that you walk away and you feel like you kind of understand what those high level guys are doing. I had to kind of teach myself that to go and watch, watch for the details on the right. Right. And and how to bring that home and get kids to understand it. Yeah. I feel like sometimes when, when big meets are, uh, are on my favorite things to watch are prelims, Mm -hmm. uh, because you see some of the, really top guys that know they can not coast, but don't know they can do different things for prelims. I, I like, I like seeing that. I like seeing when they're trying something different or when they're, they're just going through the minutia of the swim and just making sure they make it in. I feel like sometimes those swims are the ones I, I learned the most from. Yeah. Uh, well, and I think that's something that the USA swimming has done well with the pro swims, bringing that around that, uh, I mean, we had a group of kids go to that last one and it's, and I made them watch really intent on what those high-level athletes were doing to warm up, to get into the pool, when they're warming up, how they're warming up. It created some other problems. I mean, I had some kids that were, I mean, age group swimming, we're used to getting there an hour and a half, two hours before a meet even starts and watching those 
top end athletes show up like 45 minutes before do a few stretches and i know it's a unique case but i had a kid notice that and they're like well that's what i'm doing i was like no you're not yeah. there yet sometimes they see what the other kids are getting away with versus yeah yeah <laughs> so just that warm-up and how they do it and then they uh but it, I, I think it's really interesting to have the kids um and i steal mindsets all over the place I mean, we try to show the kids that the high level swimming isn't necessarily the stroke or what they're doing in the pool. It's the holistic approach. And how do you create a lifestyle that promotes your high level swimming? And I think that's, that's the biggest thing that I try to run home with these kids all the time. And, and we do it from a novice level and Ben's doing it with age group and Brian's hammering it in the pre-senior. And I think that's one of the unique pieces that we run into. Okay. Um, uh, like I said, I re- definitely wanted to go back to that uh, facility. So uh, you guys are getting a, or the high school is getting a brand new pool. Mm-hmm. And ACAC came through to be a partner in running the pool this time so that it would kind of move up the ladder uh, in terms of having preference in the pool. Uh, what what role did you play during that process? And uh, I'm guessing there's a lot of coaches out there hoping that they would have a better facility scenario. So do you have any lessons from that go- going through that process? That Yeah. Man, yeah. so this has been like a 10-year process. And even then, I was only involved in the last five of it. Um, it was pretty stressful because I know the city was involved and the school district and then us and where we fit in that capacity I think the biggest advice that I could give to any coach with it is make sure you're building bridges and not knocking them down, that you just don't know who you're going to need down the road. And I I think we're too quick to eliminate people from the conversation that might be there to help us. And I know in our situation, um, the city eventually decided that they were going to go with a different option, and the high school wanted to stay with the competitive option. And really the operating cost is the thing that we ran into that the school district was afraid of. And we, we eventually came to um, an agreement of putting together a, a perpetual endowment where we could get different people in the community to donate into this endowment and then we would live off the interest to support. In, in the event, right, the ACAC implodes, everyone's afraid of a club program. It's like, well, what happens if what you're happened? not here? Yeah. The school district's left with the bill. If, and this sounds all great, but and that's what we came up with is putting together an endowment so that everybody and that endowment is tied to the facility. So if ACAC was to disappear, then that's there. Um, yeah, we had all kinds of ideas. I mean, I even I even threw out there. It's like, why don't we donate, find the money to get a windmill and put it in the school district so it takes off electricity so you don't have to worry about it. And so there was all kinds of things, and it was. They're really cool. They uh, and the high school ended up coming through, and to have 15 lanes. I mean, we're we're super blessed and excited to have that, um, and just the opportunity to to progress that way. So, uh. I feel like there is also because, if I understand correctly, currently, ACAC's rental costs are low or, or very minimal. But with the new new with this new facility coming up. Uh, I feel like the club stepped up to the plate in terms of we're, we're going to pay more, but that's going to also give us a better 
uh, negotiating position. Is that? Yeah. So, so what, uh, what ended up happening there is like, well, so our families pay a city pool pass. This is basically our pool rent. So we don't ever collect the pool rent or get charged it. The, the, the patrons, our swimmers pay it directly to the directly city. Directly to the city. So we'll end up picking up. We'll, we'll continue to charge that similar pool pass or facility fee going into the new. Swim meets are going to be an active piece that we're going to need to help pay for that facility. Um, You're it, probably also going to start attracting more people to your meets and, and probably hosting more meets as well. Yeah, yeah. And that's, well, and that's part of build, building the education and the parent base is that we right now, we have an amazing volunteer. We have more officials uh, on our club than any other club in the state. And we, and in that sense, we're not burning individuals out and hosting meet. So right now we're hosting a fall meet. We're hosting our age group state meet. Uh, and then we're hosting two summer meets. One of them, that's an outdoor meet that kids from around the Midwest come to. We've had teams from Canada come down to it. Um, I rock the blocks. And then we uh, have started running a detassler, we call it, out, and it's kind of a last chance before the state meet in the summer that's doing really well, and then that Des Moines Y pool that they built down there. Um, so there's, yeah, I mean, we were really fortunate to have the parents that we have that really want to see a successful program versus, obviously, their kids benefit from it, but they, it's really, it's really uh, important to get parents that want to see the greater good of the whole program. Um, and that's one of the thing that our board of directors have right now is they want to see the longevity of ACAC into that new facility and are pretty committed to making this have a lasting impact over the next 10, 20 years. So, and that, that's, that's really neat. That's uh, really nice to see. Um, have you kind of switching gears a little bit again, but, uh, have you made any recent changes to training, training philosophy? One of the things I noticed, uh, and I think we briefly talked about it on deck, is you're, you're currently doing a lot of drag sock swimming. Mm -hmm. uh, is there any other things that you, I guess you also mentioned power towers and how you're using them different. But anything you can think about in terms of uh, changes to, to training, training philosophy or tools you're using recently that you're seeing good results with? Yeah. So the, oh, it was uh, oh, two years ago that we were at a junior meet um, and I was talking to another coach, Sean, out at uh, Hilltoppers in Colorado. And we were talking about how to progress high-level swimmers. And I remember him saying that you want to have the biggest impact you can on your kids right now and just listening to what I was telling him. And he was like, just make them do 2,000 yards kick every day, I mean, no matter what. We were horrible kickers at the time. And I was, it was really painful to go back and do but that was the first thing we did is that first day after that winter junior meet is we committed a 2000 yards kick every day. And it got to the point where on Sundays, that last hour, we committed a 3000 yards kick and we mix it up. And I thought we were doing a pretty good job over that winter. And the, the times that we hit at that, that winter state meet was just, they were phenomenal. I, mean, I was just by my, beside myself, what just happened. And they, um, and then we go into, the summer we had another fantastic summer and then last winter we we approached it the same on the kicking and it, it changed intervals and adjusted a few things and they um, the kids did 
I would say they, they got a little bit better, but I couldn't really put my, my, my hand on it why we couldn't progress, let's say, from a 130 base, 10-100s kick to 125. It was like they could make a couple of them, but they couldn't really make the jump. Or we would do things like 675s on the three minutes all-out kick, and the times just seemed really stagnant compared to the year before. In the spring, we went to a three-week cycle where we did three weeks fins, um, three weeks socks, three weeks of uh, that brick kickboard. And we got partway through the six weeks with the socks, and we would take the socks off and do like a 75 sprint. And the kids were dropping like five and six seconds off their 75 time that we had been stuck on for like a year. And it just it kind of changed my perspective of changing stimulus and that, I mean, obviously you can't do the same thing all the time and expect different results. And that was something that you hear like Eddie Reese talk about and trying to get the kids to progress. Um, I think kicking and with those socks has been a huge impact. Um, we don't necessarily swim a lot with them. I know Wednesdays and Fridays, when we, anytime we have morning workout and we have the whole pool to ourselves, we commit to doing underwater work. Um, that was another huge impact in our program uh, that we committed to. Regardless of what's going on, we commit to those days doing underwater work. Um, the power towers, the power work, um, I mean, we do it. The kids love it. So why, why would we not? And that's, that's changed over time. And I really embrace some of those tools. And I think there's some of those things with some of those college coaches were doing in those six-second bursts or the 12-and-a-halves. And we actually have a, a new product that I can't tell you about that will be coming out in Swim Smart um, that has an impact on those towers that's going to be really cool um, that might change how some people approach those power towers. But they, uh, I think that's been really big. And then even and I go back to um, – talking to other coaches and then like Brian Schrader I talked to him last winter at winter juniors and he was talking about what he learned and having kids kick underwater on their side versus their front and on their back and their side and I I threw that at our kids last winter we had a huge impact on our 200s and our underwater work and they um I I would say those are kind of some of the major things that I've seen a change in our program. And, and my biggest thing is that the we're not afraid to work. I mean, I get told all the time that you bury the kids and you go after them, and was, but we always bounce through it at the end. And it's just they're – and I'm working the deck. Our cell phones are off. Um, they're not out. And we're walking the deck, talking to the kids, managing them, and helping them progress through it all the time letting them know the times that they need to hold and what they can do to improve on that. I think the drilling, we don't do a lot of drilling. Um, for one, because 2,000 yards in an hour and 40 minutes of kick. That, that takes up a lot of it, it already. takes a lot of it, but it, we really drill home that I'm here giving you the feedback you need to manage your strokes while we're doing the things we're doing, make those changes, and the kids do it. Okay. Um, so I, I think one of the other things that we started that I learned at, at STARS, and I did this because when I was working oil and gas, right, a 20-minute drive from downtown Denver sometimes turns into a 40-minute drive or 45 minutes, and you just never know when you're going to get there. And we started doing a standardized warm-up. 
and the kids know when they walk in the door what their warm-up is for the first 15 or 20 minutes and it's the same thing every day and we'll do it for about oh six to eight weeks and then i'll change it a little bit so it stays a little bit fresh but like today i was i was challenging the boys we're doing 425s 15 meters underwater and your goal is to hit the 15 meter butterfly and in a few weeks i'm going to change it to 20 seconds once you're used to making the 15 and i told and we talked about how we're five weeks in and if you did all four of those 25s every day trying to get to that 15 how many days and how many 25s you actually did which right. is that focus right so that's uh <laughs> Uh, pretty interesting. Do you uh, you feel like the kids actually embrace that having the same warm up every day and and kind of? Yeah, I think I think they understand it from a management side. Um, so here's here's the other thing I run into. And first fifteen minutes, you have a kid that shows up late. You got to sit there and give them directions and what's coming. If right. you're doing a new warm up, new workout every day, that kid has to stand there and figure out what's going on. Whereas we do. If they know, they can just come in, look what's going on, and they can dive right in um, and keep up and figure out where the group's at. And that allows me to manage some other things that might be happening at the beginning of a workout. Right. That's pretty good. I've had I've had standard warm-ups, but they change by day or, or by week. I feel like you're, you're actually being more standard than that, at least a six-week block, and that's uh, uh, pretty interesting to, to hear that I think other coaches go with the same warm-up all season long and it's uh it's interesting to see how how kids respond to that yeah. I feel like we're we're afraid that they're going to be bored but at the same time a lot of them crave their routine it's like I know what's I I, I know and I know what to expect for the first 15 20 minutes of practice yeah and the the other thing that I do with our our, our seniors at least is when our workout times posted like we start at five you get directions five to 10 minutes before of what the workout's going to be. I let our kids, I know some coaches don't like to show everything. I let our kids see exactly what's coming and that allows us to progress through the workout. And I give them, I let them know why we're doing things as we're going through it. Uh, generally we don't take more than two to three minutes between sets. And we only do, if you do warm up, we do the kick set and then we do a primary set and then maybe some drilling mixed in in different, situations there but you're really only doing three sets through the whole hour and 42 hours and so it's not too complicated i mean they just kind of they know what's coming they know there's two minutes and we're going to move on um so that's and i think that's one of the the unique pieces i i would throw throw out there to a lot of coaches and what we do special at acac and we embrace this as, as a whole program is we don't have an attendance policy Kids, my senior program, kids can come one day a week or they can come every day of the week. You pay for what you get. and The dues don't change depending on um, how much you attend. Right? When you left, we had a two-day a week and a three-day a week policy that people could come at different days of the week. Right. I think, yeah, we had age group had some, some different sounds. Yeah. Yes. What we ended up doing is we just standardized. We said age group is going to be 110 a month, and we're going to offer six workouts. You can come to them all, or you can come to one of them, or you can come to none. We have kids that <laughs> don't come to any of them, and they still pay for the option to have that. And we've really – we and I, and I took this group workout structure from Todd and Colorado Stars, and we group our kids 
um, by age appropriate. Um, so our eight and unders, they swim together. Um, our nine to 11 year olds, they swim together. 11 to 14 year olds, they swim together. And then all the high school kids swim together, whether you have, like I, I just had two girls that go, or one, 49-1, 100 free, and 101, 100 breast. Um, and they're, they're swimming with kids that aren't making a varsity team. And we figure out how to manage it. But, but, but the bigger mindset is that we want the kids to be around their friends. And we want them to be around kids that are of similar maturity. We don't want the sixth grade girl that has the ability to train or to swim with some of those freshmen swimming with them because mentally they're just they're not there yet. We don't want to introduce things to them that they don't need to hear or be around yet. And it, from my experience watching it, and this is what watching Todd and, and what he's done, they, the kids find a way and they keep moving. And they rise, and I look at it as free market, right? You don't get to go into the work world and say that you're of this ability. We're all competing for the same spot, same time. So let's put kids together so that faster one can bring the slower one up. I mean, that's their direct competition. Why would we separate them? Right. I think some coaches would be curious in terms of uh, getting to know how you make it work with the group and with lane space and with creating the culture that, sort of protects the kids that are truly invested uh, with the kids that are probably not uh, uh, being able to welcome them but not not detract from the group. Do you have any particular advice there? Yeah. So what I tell the group is that we, we coach to a seven-day, six-day workout week, and I'm not going to change that. You're welcome to come two or three days a week, but you need to figure out how to integrate with the group and – I mean, I'll, I'll put the kids all the way across the pool and we race. I mean, we're not, I don't have a lane that's holding an interval on the 110 and then a lane that's holding an interval on the 115 very often. I mean, we're, there's only so fast an interval can get before, I mean, you just can only get so quick, right? right. I mean, when we're focused on quality-based, we should be in a place where most kids can make that. And if they can't, I modify it. I'll put fins on a kid, or if we're doing a breaststroke set, I'll have them. They can do backstroke. It's not a, it's not a big deal. It really comes down to what is the coach willing to manage and be comfortable with and meeting kids where they're at and not. And there comes a point where you have to push some of them that they need to catch up with the group. But they um, – when we, we look at moving kids up from group to group, so say there is that, that seventh grade girl or boy that's really talented, we do, as they move into their eighth grade year, we'll allow some of them to move up in their eighth grade to be with the freshmen. And the same, but we generally only do it when they have friends to move with them. We don't let kids move by themselves, and that's the way we evaluate it. We would rather have a kid stay down for a season than move up and fail. And we want them to be feel successful as they're going. We want them to be leaders. Right. So. Um, I guess you already touched on, on this, uh, or many little points like this, but what would you like your club to be known for? What would you like ACAC to be known for, for somebody that is either considering joining the team or for other teams in the state? Is there any particular thing you... Yeah, are, the... I had another coach ask us this a while back, and I had to think pretty hard about it. But I think one of the, the things that we do really well is we develop our own swimmers. 
we're not getting kids from um, outside of our community, uh, other swim teams per se. Uh, the kids that show up in our pool are the ones we get. So we really have to work to meet them where they're at and teach them what they need to know to progress to that next level. And that's, that's one of the things that um, we've had to have, keep really um, an eye on as coaches is that we need to be a little bit of everything for everybody to an extent. I mean, we're, we can't be so high level that we're driving everybody out and so hardcore, but we also can't be at a rec level where we're losing our top athletes and they're not progressing. I mean, we've had to try that, try to find that happy median. And I think that's, that's something that's pretty unique about our program that I take a lot of pride on. And then the, the family side, um, we, we're a very close knit group. Um, again, there's not a lot of other communities we have kids going to. So we know, we know who's doing what, how they're doing it. And we, we work to, do things together to a certain level, right? Everybody's got to get away from each other at some point <laughs> or it becomes too much. But I think that's, that's one of the things that, um, I mean, family is important and that family time is important. And I talked to the kids about that and making sure they have that. I know one of the big things we threw at them last winter was quiet time. And I think that had a huge impact on a lot of the kids and just getting them to turn their phones and everything off and just sit down and just be able to collect their thoughts and have some quiet time and maybe just progressing different things like that season to season as a group. So that's pretty good. Uh, kind of moving away from the program a little bit, uh, talking about, uh, going back to, to you and your life and your routine. Do you, do you have a routine day to day? Do you have a standard, uh, I guess, with the different practice times, that probably changes day to day. But would you say you have a, a routine that you go through the first 30 minutes or first hour of your day? Yeah. They, so mine, mine has actually been pretty unique in this. And, and I've challenged um, our younger, our kids to try and do this. So I learned real quick uh, when I worked oil and gas. And we, we kind of do this as athletes already. We get up in the morning and we beat everybody to the rest of the day. But I don't think they realize what they're doing. Um, and, I, and it hit me on the head when I was at Newfield um, working. When I would get in there at 5.30, I would get to sit down at the computer and I would get to work for about two hours, three hours before anybody else showed up. And I would get to flood everybody else with work to do. And they would react to me. And I was setting the tone for the day. I wasn't showing up at eight o'clock and looking at my inbox and like, oh shoot, I got I got all this work I got to get done because so and so wants this or that. I beat them to it. Right. I mean, I had already done everything, and they were going, and and I learned that, and it was really neat. And the, the, the lady that helped me learn that was Jennifer Powers, and she, um, I'll be forever thankful that I I had her in my life. She uh, she's actually really active in. Um, Oh, the children's hospitals and gives a lot of time there. Uh, but they, and she kept a, a life perspective on things. But my, my routine right now, and so when I first got married and my, my wife was just like, what is, 
what is this? <laughs> it is like, I, I, would, I would get up at 5 a.m. And I would sit down even when I, I mean, coaching, if there's nothing going on in the morning, a lot of coaches, I, I'm guessing, I don't know for sure, don't sit down and do anything till like noon or whatever because there's, we live a life of different hours and different expectations. And I kept that same standard. I would get up at 5 a.m. I'd be sitting down. I would start my workouts. I would go through that stuff. I would do the admin side of things. And I would sit there and I'd fire things out all day. And then in the middle of the day, I could disappear for a little bit and do whatever needs to be done and then get on the pool deck in the evening. Um, the pool deck, I'm generally on the deck almost an hour before. I mean, writing workouts up, putting things together for whatever, and just having small conversations with whoever's around and spending that time. I think the biggest thing in my routine I had to learn once I got married and having kids was to turn it off. Um, and I think that's some of the things some coaches run into is separating their family life from the coaching life. Because with these cell phones and internet, I mean, you're kind of on all the time. Right. And having figuring out how to set those boundaries has been the real challenge. Um, and I've kind of figured that out, and that's what me and my wife have talked about. I still, my actual wake-up time has gotten earlier because I got at home I have a little boy that wants to come, and he's three and a half now, and interrupt whatever's going on and so I get up at 4 4:30 work until 9 or 9:30 something like that and then I try to turn it off to spend some time with him cuz when I go to work out and I don't get back home until 7:38 I mean that's a big chunk of time that they've been doing things that most people get their time with the kids in the evening so right um yeah, that was something that I uh, definitely want to talk about, too. My conversation with Greg uh, a week ago kind of almost also touched on that, uh, the family side. You're, so you're married, you have a, a three-year-old, and you're, you're making it work uh, with the word assuming, which a lot of coaches would be perplexed. Uh, any, any advice uh, besides kind of this setting up your, your life? Yeah. Um, well, I think one of the unique pieces is that my wife was not involved in swimming or athletics at all. Right? She's a, she grew up on a, a farm about 30 minutes from here, and she's kind of learned. I think, um, I mean, one, one of the, the big things in, our, in my approach to life is uh, faith is very important in my family and how we go about things and just our purpose and what we're doing and for the greater good. And she has that perspective too. And understanding that the impact I'm having on these kids is an impact there to the rest of their lives. And they, uh, so she appreciates the coaching side of it um, and, and being involved with people. Um, and then, I mean, the other side of with, with my kids, it's um, we are talking about Nakama and how he's learned the side of it. And I'll tell you what, they, uh, you think you know everything when you're coaching kids, and then you have a couple, you don't. So I have a three-and-a-half-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old one now. And I think the fun part, before I, right before Wesley was born, I was telling people all the time, it was like, here's how you should be raising your kids, do this, that, that. <laughs> or not raise them, but it was like, why don't you discipline them that way or this way? And they'd always turn around, I was like, you wait and see. And, and I'm sitting here, and I'm like, what are you doing, Wesley? It's like, <laughs> and trying to get him to correct some behavior and stuff is is a real challenge and interesting. Um, so that's that's the piece that I, I'm looking at. And I, I think the the one thing that from coaching and looking at my kids is I and you just realize this is I look at my own kid and think about how other people are interacting with them, 
and how would I like somebody to approach my son or daughter? And right, not everybody is the most talented in the world or the most focused or whatever. And that these are all people and how can we set them all up for what they need later on in life and have a positive experience along the way. Yeah. Uh, and any, uh, anything you do in terms of, uh, taking care of your health, I feel like that's another thing that coaches sometimes might struggle with your, your, your helping other people stay active and, and fit. And, and sometimes it's hard to take care of ourselves. Yeah. Is there anything you, you go about taking care of that? Yeah. So, so one of the fun things, um, I don't know. So right after college, right, I was working from 5.30 in the morning till 9 o'clock at night. I wasn't working out anymore. The The work fridge had Coke. <laughs> and I would sit there and I would, I mean, it turned into a game to see how many of those things I could drink every day. And they, uh, and it ended up being really bad. They, uh, I know as I, and I did the typical uh, bachelor thing. I would get home at 9 o'clock and I would, I, I know people find this sick, but I love hamburger helper. And I would I would just make this huge pot of it and it's like a family style and I would sit there and I'd eat it all. And I wake up at like three AM on the couch. Feeling that, terrible. Yeah, <laughs> feeling terrible. And, but then I would do it again. I could do it again, do it again. And I did fine with that. And then but then um, eventually I ended up with uh, some vocal cord issues and I we figured out that it was acid reflux and I think it stemmed from some of that. Um, that type of lifestyle and then working out, I ended up, I never had back problems prior to uh, being done with college and just not, I gained weight and they, uh, I remember the last year I was in, uh, Colorado is like, I just reality that I could hardly walk. I could hardly stand on the pool deck. I needed to do something about it. And as hard as it was at nine o'clock at night when I didn't feel like I had more time, I went for a run for 30 minutes and I go in the dark and they, um, and it's, and my back felt better after doing that, even working out of what, 14 hour, 15 hour day, whatever it was, just getting that and getting that movement, getting that movement in and that working out. And then when I moved back to Iowa, I kind of go in spurts. Um, but, but uh, the biggest thing is that I, I kind of take the perspective that we challenge the kids to eat healthy and to get higher level training and get more sleep. And when I started demanding that of the kids, I really started to try and do it myself. I can't expect them to do and be something if I'm not similar. And it's just that hypocrisy that I try to keep an eye on. Um, so I, I work out or I'll lift or I'll do 30 minutes. A few years ago, I, I started swimming and I had a, I put an expectation that I either 1500 yards or 30 minutes, whichever comes first and I'm getting out of the pool and just kind of those type of things just to make sure I'm being active. And right. Yeah. yeah I think that's important. I think sometimes it's, it's easy to overlook with the hours that the job requires and, and other things going on. Sometimes people try to fall off the wayside and, and, and staying healthy actually, uh, helps you be more effective in your job as well. Yeah. The, it would, so, so like right now, what I've taken on this year, I'm actually doing it with another parent. And I'm telling, I'm letting the kids know, and it's more of like an empowering thing. I just want you to feel strong and mentally know that you're, you have control over your situation and what you're doing. And food, food is such a, you it is it is a huge asset 
if it's used and done right. But it can also be a crutch and something that's that's hard to manage and dealt with and, and helping those kids learn that. Um, and so right now I'm doing uh, a year of I can have one cup of coffee in the morning and then nothing but water the whole rest of the day. And right now it's it's four weeks and kind of getting to the point where I don't even feel like I need the cup of coffee. You just feel yeah. feel good. Right. Yeah, I've done I've, I've done similar things and I feel like as restrictive as it sounds, uh, sometimes the fact that that decision is made already, you don't have to worry about like, should I drink the Coke or not drink the Coke? It's like you made the decision already. You're mm -hmm. not drinking it. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes that, that kind of, that kind of things really help. Uh, I've never, I can't remember what I've done for a year, but I've, I've done a month without any added sugar. And it was, it was, I felt like that as much as my, my Achilles heel is, uh, it's, uh, ice cream. I love ice cream. I don't yeah. eat ice cream all the time, but I love it. And going a month, like, I'm not, I'm not going to have anything that has added sugar, cut that off. And that decision was made. It, I didn't. You could do it. Yeah. See, I, I had a parent make a comment because when I approached the nutrition side of things with, with some of the kids, they, uh, I mean, I was really, I was like, you can let, you can have a treat every so often here or there. It's, it's having too much of it is what becomes your issue. And then one of the parents was like, would you give an alcoholic a drink every so often? I started thinking about it. I was like, no. And it's like, okay, well, maybe that's a different perspective that we could take on some of this and challenging the kids. You know what? Just eliminate it for a while until you feel like you really are strong in what you're doing. Like you have a grasp on it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can introduce a little bit of that here and there. And the interesting part is like the sweet side of it when you – when you're able to eliminate some of those things, when you go back to try it, man, it's so rich. It's sweet. yeah, it's all of us are like, how did I eat this before? Yeah, and yeah. carrots and fruits start tasting sweeter and better, and where they didn't before. And right. I mean, I've I've had kids that have tried to that have done a pretty good job of that, and they're like, wow, I'm staying awake in class because they've eliminated the uppers and downers, and they're right. just kind of consistent through their day. Yeah, I feel especially with sugar because there's it's so easy to get a lot of it, so easy to get too much of it. Yeah. Um, so that that's a big one. Um, <clears throat> like to take some time. I think uh, everybody I'm going to meet here uh, during this time that I'm uh, doing these interviews is into coaching and coaching is great. Uh, but there's also some um, frustrations with the job. There's also some hardships that come with the job. Uh, I like to ask people about that and, and, and also touch on that. Do you have any uh, specific things on just the coaching professional in general, uh, uh, expectations that come with it or, or some of the, the things we talked about that or perhaps the market that you would like to uh, kind of touch on? Yeah. Boy, that's kind of open-ended. <laughs> um, they um – I mean, there's so many different things, I guess, to, to what capacity you might want to dive into. The, um, I mean, I think the admin side of it, I think there's more to it than what a lot of parents uh, realize. And even the kids will ask, what are you doing all day? <laughs> well, I <laughs> yes. spent the last four, day, or four hours answering all your parents' emails. And I mean, none of them are like, mind-boggling but they just you know it takes time it takes time yeah and if you want to do it and do it well then you you spend the time that yeah you're honors it you're you're in customer relations as well yeah yeah and i think that's the thing that a lot of us get lost on is that we want to be the pool deck but we don't want to be off the deck well one complements the other and, and that's and I, I think one of the hard things that 
we're seeing as we progress through our careers is that there's more paperwork and more training that you have to go through. And I know a, a fair bit of it's um, needed, uh, but it's, it's kind of a reality of it. To get a new coach into coaching just to get their lifeguard research can be a challenge. And then all that uh, extra training beyond it. And again, I understand that there's, there's uh, a need to protect the athletes and the mindset of what we're doing. Um, but it's kind of a reality of uh, where we're at in swimming and how to do that. Um, the weekends, they're, those are tough because um, you're kind of living outside of what the rest of the world's kind of doing. And they're used to their weekends off right. and whatnot. And they, um, I don't find that as big of an issue. And that's part of managing your program and parent education and picking. We pick the meets that the kids are going to and certain coaches are going to certain meets to make sure that we can keep that work-life balance that coaches are. Because for the most part, we're on seven days a week. I mean, if you're not contacting me today or today, another parent's contacting me today. Right. And I mean, one of the approaches we've taken or I've taken at least, is that my parent volunteers at the highest level of our club and our board and stuff, I always, regardless of the time of day, I make myself available for them because they've got full-time jobs too. And they're volunteering their time to help the benefit of our program. So I need to be available when they are, are not at work. Um, and I, I think that's one of the things that's made us special is being able to meet those families where they're at to help us. Um, impact these kids I, I think those would be the bigger things that are kind of tough on on coaches the evening hours and it's just kind of a reality of the club side of it is like you're a lot of coaches are getting pushed to eight nine o'clock at night and I think that's what made aim so attractive is we're off the deck by no later than seven o'clock at night right it's a a little bit of a blessing the fact that you don't have the pool past that time that your yeah. coaches can can actually go home yeah the city says we're done at 6 40 or six, uh or seven o'clock depending if there's swim lessons and we're like well this is what we have to deal with and it's been we've been really fortunate on on that piece and having the opportunities that we do have okay um do you um kind of touched on about a little bit i think but uh how do you how do you write your oracles? Do you are you a Notepad guy? Are you a software guy? Are you yeah. template? Um, so here's here's how I do my workouts. I have an Excel sheet, and because we have the boys' fall season, um, I have I have an Excel sheet that's saved that says fall, um, whatever year it is, boys, and after that season, I'll save it. I'll, I'll file saved to the next season I'll change the date on it and I'll change it to that next season's date and then what I do on each each week on the bottom of the tab I'll write week one and then I'll write that week's workouts and then the next tab I'll write week two and the next week I'll write week three and then if we have a meet that week on let's say week six I'll write week six and then the meet that's that week and then year on year, when I save it and I go to back and I go to write my next set of workouts that are on similar days, I can see it was like, okay, on week six, we had a meet here, but this year it's on week five. So I can understand where the changes are year to year. But what I end up doing is I write my workout 
Monday through Sunday on that one tab. And then when I, when I go to write a next year's workout, I'll, I'll select all that and I'll move it over to like columns uh, L, M, N or whatever. And then I'll write the next year's workouts right beside it. But what I always try to do um, before I even get to that point is I'll sit down and I'll write down, I'll do it on a notepad and then I'll do it on a, um, an Excel of just a season plan of what were bigger level things, right? The first three weeks we're going to kick with socks and we're going to do more hundred focused stuff. And then the next six weeks or three weeks we're going to do fins and we're going to do more of this focus. Um, and then when I go to write my workouts, I'll do that day to day. And then the fun part that I, I try not to do is look at what the workouts were from a year ago. And then once I'm done writing workouts, I'll scroll over and see what we were doing. And that way, I'm always keeping things fresh and different. I think that's one of the things that I always committed to myself is that we would never do the exact same workout as we had done the year before, that the kids change, grow, and evolve, and I need to do the same thing. Um, And I need to manage the kids that are there, that their abilities aren't the same as what they were a year ago. They're new kids, new differences. And that's kind of how I go about it. Now, obviously, I have, um, there's certain sets that we do consistently um, that don't change a whole lot. They evolve a little bit, but I try not to fry their minds on the same stuff. So they, they can't walk in on, oh, I don't know, September 20th and say that, oh, I remember this workout from last year. Okay. And I know that that happens in different programs and that's, I've committed that that's not something that we're ever going to run into. All right. Kind of going to the closing stages here. uh, What, what is the most important thing you would like people to know about you? About me? Yes. With my goals or stages? Either, either as a, either as a coach or, or as a person, if you think, I mean, I guess this is kind of putting, putting yourself public out there. It's a, it, it is also an open-ended question, but uh, what would you like people to, to know about you? Oh, I don't know. So, I mean, growing up, so I was one of those typical kids that had, uh, I don't know, that I was in some special ed classes, some the, uh, oh, the, uh, learning disabilities and whatnot with reading was a challenge for me and having to progress through that and then um, going through college and learning how to study and how to work. I think that was one of the hardest things to learn and figure that out. Um, the, the And then learning the perspective of uh, figuring out how to manage myself and work on myself rather than worrying about what other people are doing. And I think I really started to realize that my junior year of college because I was really frustrated with how other people were doing things. And once I really started focusing on what I could do for myself, and not in a selfish mindset, but just really focused on what I can actually impact and really taking people for kind of what they're worth, I really started to enjoy life quite a bit more and not worrying about their decisions and meeting them where they're at. And I think the one of the, the things that I also ran into was, oh, Two or three years um, into coaching at Stars, 
I mean, there was a there was a lot going on between uh, getting ready for Olympic trials for Missy and Carolyn and all that stuff. And I think my faith really started to come through in a strong way, and just really giving that everything that was going on to the Lord and letting things go and realizing that you know I can't carry the burden of everything and everybody on me. That it's it's not mine, and that's that's the Lord's to work with, and that the um, and that really started to change my perspective on coaching and people, and that my approach towards coaching really, in life, I got a lot calmer, you know, and it was, and it was uh, a lot easier to go through day to day, knowing that a lot of this is out of my hands, and I need to just be able to manage what I can, and see what what goes forward, and be able to take on the new challenges that show up. And, and I think that that was one of the big pieces that allowed me to feel like I can go home back to Iowa and, and work through and have an impact here. I mean, there's one of my big goals and questions that was tossed at me before I left Colorado is that there's a ceiling or a capacity on the talent and ability in, in Iowa. And I remember thinking it was like, watch this. And, and w- we can do it too out there, and I think we've we've done that. Um, so I don't know, but I think those are the some of the big pieces that that I remember. So, um, all right. Uh, so thank you again for sitting down and for having me on the pool deck. It's been it's been pretty interesting being back after eight years, and I I have to say I am really impressed with where the club's is at. Uh, uh, I think it's shown over the past couple of years, yes, uh, the, there's a lot of good that can be done out of a small town in Iowa. Uh, the program is really impressive, so thank you a lot uh, for congrats, and, and thank you for, for having me on deck. Thank you for sitting down. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts, anything else you would like to discuss? I don't know. I, th- I think we've talked about quite a bit. I think I think some of the, the things that I I should probably throw out there that um, – and just closing with all this is just to be make sure you're being thankful and working um, to help those that are helping you. I, I think our, our program is success, as successful as it is because of oh, people like Jason Horace and um, Sue Weiner and Elliot and um, Jeremy and Jen and all of our, our board of directors and our Fort Dodge crew, and Tracy and Melanie and our coaches that have come through and then and you need to talk about Ben, Aaron, and Brian and just the the huge impact that they're having that we couldn't do what we're doing without the right people in the right place. And, and just the um, – I think it's just part of God's bigger plan and that if we take the time to look back at some of the lessons that we've learned and the people that were put in our lives to help us learn, it's like all those people, Karen, Petri, and um, Jim, Dan – Brian, I mean, they just, they all have lasting impacts. And I, I think that's really the, the thing that we need to remember as coaches is that we have real world impacts on these kids. And what we say today and tomorrow can have a lasting impression on them. And man, when I realized that, it was kind of made me excited and made my heart sink at the same time that you right. gotta, words are powerful and we got to be careful. Yes, got to think about what you're what you're saying. Uh, yeah, to the kids. 
Uh, is there any any ways you like to, uh, if people want to get in touch or if people want to know more, more about ACAC, any uh, websites or emails that you like to share or, or yeah, social I, media? I mean, they're, they're always, I don't do social media. They, uh, I challenge my kids not to do it, so I went and deleted all of mine. Um, that's a different subject another day. <laughs> But they, they um, uh, you can get a hold of me at uh, Coach Mike at swimacac.com that's my our club email that i generally use and then the um our, our club website i mean you can find our emails out there and stuff and yeah so all right well thanks again and yeah. uh good luck to you this season and, and uh in the future absolutely appreciate it thanks for coming out That was it for another episode of the Swim Coaching Transit podcast. Thank you for listening. And if you made it to the end, I really hope you enjoyed it. Once again, I had a great time recording it and also listening to it again while editing. And thanks again to Mike for his hospitality during my visit and for taking the time for this long chat. If you did enjoy this, please take a few seconds to give this podcast five stars on whatever podcast player you use. And if you like to hear more shows like this, go ahead and subscribe. Also, check out the show notes on my blog, swimcoachintransit.com. That's swimcoachintransit, all spelled out together in lowercase with no dashes and no special characters. There, you can find links to all other resources we talked about during this show. And last but not least, thanks to my good friend Madhu for the soundtrack to this podcast. You can also find his Instagram info on the show notes. And if you like music at all, that's well worth checking out. And also thanks to Zapslat for the sound effects. And that's it. Thanks again, and I hope you catch the next one.